I've got about ten seconds to tell you how to get two-for-one tickets for top draw comedy nights near you thanks to our friends at the TV channel Dave at absoluteradio.co.uk. Also, I've got to tell you about how you can win prizes while you're there too. I've run out of time, though. Frank Skinner on Absolute Radio. Absolute Radio. Welcome to the Not The Weekend podcast um, for Absolute Radio. I'm Frank Skinner and I'm here with Emily and Gareth. Hello. Hi. And it's our last one with you, Frank, for ages. It is. Mm. In fact, I don't even know if the midweek podcast are continuing. Oh. Until I get back, I mean. But we'll, I mean, we'll see about that. But anyway. Wednesday morning. Even that sounded slightly mournful. But hey, let's be up and excited. What an event I had this week. Oh, I, I ordered a whole crab. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was in a, a restaurant in, in, in Brighton. Yeah. And um, I thought, uh, I haven't eaten a whole crab. Well, I've never eaten a whole crab. My dad used to come back from the pub on Saturday um, afternoons, often with a whole crab. Which meant what, for a very, very slow walk, <laughs> imagine, and sideways. Just clutching it? Yeah, it was wrapped in newspaper. Oh. And uh, he used to sit and watch the sport, you know, the results and the horse mm. racing results and all that, and he used to eat everything. I, I remember him cracking the very thinnest elements of the crab. Yeah. And he used to get the little bit of crab out with a hair grip. Oh. Did he? And he did a whole thing. The wooden, you couldn't find a smear of white meat when he'd finished. He used to sock, sock the pincers. Mm. I love that. I love fiddly food. Do you? I, I don't, you see. Do not. I, I like don't. someone to do the dressing for me. No, I, I said my favourite would be blancmange. Oh. <laughs> Anything more fiddly than that, I'm not interested. I, I like chops. I've always liked the fact that chops come with a handle. Okay. Um, I, like, I like this 70s wedding. Lamont <laughs> <laughs> and chops. <laughs> People still eat chops, do Well, not really. What do you mean, not, not really? Not with those little white chef's hats on the end, which I know you favour. Well, I bet you're one of these people that just presses out the, the meat, like just from the centre, like a medallion, and leaves <laughs> the, the string of fat across the top. In many ways, the best bit. Mm. Mm. Anyway, so uh, it was a really very nostalgic meal. And you know, there's not, I, I discovered there's not that much on them. When it comes down, it's mainly shell and bone. Mm. Really? So, you've been warned. Okay. But I noticed when we went out for, for lunch the other day, because we're very communal, um, mm. us three, there was a, a new thing. We go to a place called Totten's, which is in Covent Garden. And um, there was a thing on the blackboard I've never seen before. It was a chef's recommendation. Oh. And, you know, it put me off the whole experience, the fact that there was a chef's recommendation. Did it? Why? Because... I had an image of the chef, someone saying, um, Luigi, we need uh, your recommendation. Recommend- what is this, a new thing? Yes. And then he must have gone down the menu going, no, not recommending <laughs> that. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. And, and then he finally recommends it. It made me think less of everything. Oh, so it made the omissions seem <clears throat> worse. Exactly. I know what you mean. Yeah, you don't want any omissions on the menu. I never um, look at the blackboard. I get one of the other people on the team. I say, be my eyes. I can't <laughs> be bogged down with that level of detail. That's because you won't put your spect. Oh, no. no, I've got that frog in the throat thing. Mm. Oh. <coughs> you better sort that out before South Africa. David Baddiel's far less tolerant than us. No, and I, I agree with that. So, yeah, so I think the chef's recommend The chef. The chef's recommend <laughs> That's how you say it, isn't it? Yeah. Could have just as easily been a list of what the chef is not that crazy about yeah. and everything else. Obviously. He did recommend the most expensive thing on the menu. Yeah, though, well, I'm, so. yeah, I bet he was led. Mm. I bet he was led by that. That's oh, my yeah. verdict. 
And I, I had um, a slightly embarrassing situation. I was, what I was I, Well, I've been doing press this week. Oh, yeah. I don't mean I've been making cider. <laughs> I've been doing press interviews. Yeah. And um, so I get a car. I get, I get driven in. I don't get a car. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I get driven in. And I, and I was driven in by, uh, by Mark, who's been driven me dri- driving... <laughs> been driving me for a long. I'm just driver. working my way around mm. the language. I'm sometimes thinking, you know, perhaps these pronunciations could be better. Mm. So I'm just trying some different ones. And he's very cool, Mark. He's probably the coolest person. Oh, I've I know. seen him. Yeah, and uh, we cool. were listening to Absolute Radio, and they played um, "London's Calling" by The Clash. Oh yeah, and The Clash is a quite a cool thing to know. So you know, it coming with that dun 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to sing this because, hey, man, I'm cool. I like cool music. I'm into the Clash. And I went, London's burning. <laughs> and I accidentally said the name of a 1990s um, Sunday night drama series. <laughs> and I couldn't get out of it. Well, it's a nursery rhyme. It was originally a nursery rhyme. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how embarrassing, Frank. Oh, man. It's, so, it's the worst. You know, sometimes I do this thing when, when you sing a song. Yeah. Sometimes I'll sing a song and I'll realise when I come to the rhyme in the second line that I must have got the first <laughs> oh, that's line a terrible wrong because moment. it doesn't rhyme yeah. anymore. So sometimes I'll try and come up with a word quickly. <laughs> that, oh, that, that's really embarrassing. So anyway, that's enough about me. Mm. Let's, talk, let's talk about you guys. So... um. Well, how, how are things in Bomo? Well, I'm a bit worried for what's, Bournemouth. What? What's Bomo? Bomo? That's Bomo. what Gareth calls Bournemouth. Oh, that's how what, that's dreadful. What the, <laughs> what Bomo, don't try and make it sound all cool. It is yeah. quite cool, Bournemouth. Oh, is it? Yeah. You're only saying that because you're from Birmingham. Uh, yes, I love Birmingham. Burmo. Before anyone writes into <laughs> Burmo. From Burma? <laughs> yes, I am from Burma. The news is out. <laughs> Anyway, carry on, Gareth. Tell us about BOMO. I'm a bit worried about the way Bournemouth is going because I've been noticing quite a lot of vandalism. Coming out of the main road into Bournemouth, Mm. you know when people write something on a bridge? Not really. (laughs) No, no, I do. I know They've written something on the bridge for everyone to see. And what they've written is, and I've changed the name and address... To to protect the innocent. To protect the innocent. It says, Jimmy Black is a police informer and he lives at number eight Byron Court. (gasps) And I like that because there's clearly a story behind that. Did you just change one? I imagine so. (laughs) Frank, I'm worried that he's just changed random. one number in the apartment. <laughs> he's changed quite a lot of okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he's changed informant to informer <laughs> and thought that would do it. That's not what I'm worried about. <laughs> do you think I've changed my name, Gareth Richards, as a police informer? <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be identified as a police informer, though, on a bridge in Bomo. No. No. I like that you're acting like you say Bomo all the time, like it trips off the tongue. I've taken to Bomo. It's Bournemouth, I never... It's the, the idea of being born and then some sort of mouse yeah. I found slimy yeah. in the extreme. But Bomo, it's, it's, like, it's got that sort of U2 feel to it as well. And it, it sort of split the Bournemouth population because I look at it and I think, oh, that guy's you know, become a police informer. Well, good on him. Mm. You know, standing up against the Bournemouth mobsters. What do people talk about? Is there a kind of shared cultural reference point with this graffiti? Because that doesn't really happen in London, because there's quite a lot of graffiti. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you make of the Jimmy Black graffiti? <laughs> well, I've heard that he is indeed a police informer. Yeah. You see that man that we hear about on the news who's helping police with their inquiries? <laughs> I always used to think as a child, well, how bad are things for the police that they need voluntary workers to come in and... 
And how nice of that man to help them out. Yeah. I have to say, I um, I find that uh, there's less writing involved in graffiti. I went to, in a place yesterday um, in Lambeth, which was like a sort of underground... Lambo? Yeah, <laughs> in Lambo. And there was an underground tunnel. Actually, it might, be, it might be classed as Vauxhall, but hey, let's call the whole thing South London. And um, there's a tunnel... And it's absolutely crammed with graffiti. And there's a mm. sign that says, um, please, no sexist or racist graffiti, no advertising. And I thought, what kind of... The whole thing about graffiti is that mm. it's rule-breaking. Yeah. You don't want to list them. Anyway, there's almost no writing at all. And I think that that's the way... As uh, teens have steadily not been able to read and write as they left school. It's changed the face of graffiti. Graffiti now is just it's just pictures. Oh, maybe they'll do it in text speak. They can graffiti in that way. That's what they need. They need spray cans yeah. with predictive text. Um, I saw a really good piece of very middle class graffiti, which was on a tube in Highgate, North London, Nolo. And um, it was advertising the Daily Mail Ideal Home Exhibition. Graffiti was? Yeah. No, this poster was. Oh, okay, the graffiti was, was say, on the poster. That's really middle-class graffiti. Corporate um, graffiti. <laughs> go to the Ideal Home <laughs> Exhibition. No, it was on a poster. Sorry, I should add. So there was this poster advertising the Daily Mail Ideal Home Exhibition. And then there was a picture of Graham Norton, who was endorsing this said event. And was it? Are you sure it's, <laughs> sure it's Ideal Home? <laughs> Frank... <laughs> And he was holding... I'd love to go to the ideal homo <laughs> exhibition. I mean, it'd just be, it's the quintessence of what a gay man should be. Or woman! Um, and he was holding a champagne glass, Natch, mm. and someone had, underneath the thing where it said Daily Mail and then Graham Norton with the champagne glass, someone had written there was a bubble coming out of his mouth with the words, where is my soul? Which I thought was so brilliantly... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember at, at at the ITV studios, they used to have these pictures, which was like their big stars and their big um, programmes, mm. and they'd have little captions underneath, and the captions were put in in card, you know, and it just so it would say, for example, um, "Stars in the Rise" and be a picture of Matthew Kelly or something like mm. that. And uh, some there was a picture of Michael Barrymore, and someone had taken out the um, the card from underneath the television programme Hornblower. <laughs> and put that under, and I thought that you know that's disrespectful. Oh. To and I wish I hadn't done it now. <laughs> I did. I once had. I shouldn't say this. There was a photograph of an ex-boyfriend of mine on not on the ITV studios, but on the BBC studios, and I wrote oh. something that I'm not going to tell you what it was actually because oh. I don't think. I should. <laughs> oh. Goodness. Anyway, you can think about that. Was a bit of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a bit, it was a bit lacking in information, generally, that anecdote, wasn't it? We don't know who it Someone. was or what you wrote. No. OK. My, my favourite bit of historical graffiti was to do with the 1832 Reform Bill, and it was written on a wall somewhere, damn Lord Grey's bloody head off. Mm. That's quite good. So, yeah. And that's still there. You'd think that would have been removed. <laughs> it's funny you should say that, because Al Murray, who is who's doing the... The show. With my new client, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. He, uh, I don't know if you know this, but he's something like the great, 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 great grandson of William Makepeace Thackeray. Is he really? Yeah. yeah. And um, they had a load of school books that believe, uh, his parents did that belonged to uh, William Makepeace Thackeray. And someone had, uh, you know, it had, someone had scrawled on the front of it, William Thackeray is a bloody fool. <laughs> 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 
fabulous piece of graffiti. Mm, marvellous. Now, we had, a, we had an email, didn't we, uh, uh, about someone's getting married. Yes, we did. Sorry, that's my email. <laughs> oh, you're getting married? No! Um, not yet. Email Hesky. Carry on. <laughs> Dear Frank, Emily and Gareth, my fiancé Paul and I are big fans of the show and have been avidly listening to the back catalogue via the podcast. Oh, I love our back catalogue. If my calculations are correct, Paul will be listening to this just prior to our wedding on 10th of July. It would mm. be fantastic if you could give us a fleeting mention to wish us well on the day. Frank, I know you're not the biggest advocate of marriage, but we've long admired the poetry you conjure in your pearls of wisdom when listeners have contacted the show for advice, and I'm sure a few fitting words will give us a brilliant start to our marriage. Much obliged, Anna in Sunderland. Anyone who closes an email, much obliged, <laughs> is already my good books. I must admit, I, I, well, I wouldn't say I wasn't a great advocate of no. marriage. I had, I had a, you know, a failed marriage. That but, was some um, time ago, though. I've had a few failed gigs. Doesn't mean that I'm anti-gigs. No, I, um, I, I, I went to a humanist wedding once, and um, they spoke. Uh, they, when they did the readings, they weren't obviously religious readings, and they read out this poem by Rilke, the German poet, in which he talked about relationships. You know, these people talk about my other half and all that, and he mm. said he was anti that. He says the idea is that you give the other person space to grow as an individual. And it, what he said is that we are the guardians of each other's solitude. And I thought that was mm. fabulous. So I think that's what's important about any sort of relationship, is that you let the other person be who they are. And, that, and, and if, they, you know, if they change, you've just got mm. you to let it happen. And I think that is that is crucial because I think when you first go out with someone and, it, and it's a bit you know it's just all that excitement bit it's a bit like going out for yeah. a night you know what I mean it, it's mm. it's all new and that but if you've been with someone for a while they get to be like home yes and that's a fabulous state to be at when you can just be yourself around someone that's the joy so I'm hoping that sorry what's their name Anna in Sunderland much yeah, obliged yeah, I'm hoping that Anna and Anna um, and Paul and Anna and Paul uh, that, that, that that is achieved and and you should. Both remember that if you hold your hand open and a bird sits upon it, just let it stay there as long as it wants. It might stay forever. But if you try to hold it tight and hold on to it, you'll kill it. What if it was a buzzard? Um, that was a very nice sentiment. Now, don't ruin it. OK. <laughs> That's what I'll be going down the aisle to. So then, what else? Oh, that was a good story. Did you read about the... Um, I saw a fabulous headline in the paper that what was said, it? Uh, dead, dead elephant becomes fuel. <laughs> and uh, apparently the Yugoslavs were, yeah. were given an elephant um, as a nation for their, for their big zoo. And uh, it died um, recently. It was 42 years old. I don't mm. know how, how, they norm, how old they normally live, elephants. Um, I don't know, but that seems a strange age for an animal, quite a human sort of age. 42. Yeah. That's quite young for a... Uh, it was in a car crash. <laughs> 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 they were moving it from one zoo to the other, and uh, the, the, the driver lost, lost control, and uh, the elephant was <laughs> flung, flung through a sunroof. That'd be scary, wouldn't it, if you sit in a cafe and see that happening? So anyway, um, so what they've done, they've turned it into, they've taken the dead body of the elephant. Mm. And when I say they've taken it, how how you lift that, I can't Mm. imagine. Well, exactly. Maybe you saw it up. Yeah. Take it out in separate sacks. But, um, and they've turned it into biofuel, which I think is a... Oh, 
that's responsible. Yeah. Well, they said they wanted to do something to honour the me- elephant's memory. Yeah. And that's what they did. They turned it into fuel. <laughs> yeah. Because the elephant's memory is so long. <laughs> what they should have done is just they should have steamrolled it and used it as carpet <laughs> at, at national events. I think it'd be great if there was a special elephant biofuel pump mm. and instead of the normal yeah. pump, it was a trunk <laughs> coming out the side. That's how you, so you fill that. your tank with, wouldn't that be a... Be a bit movie? wrinkly, though, that one. Yes. A wrinkly slide. Yeah, yeah another I wrinkly like slide. I liked it, though. I liked the idea of, um, of animals being um, mm. reprocessed. So is, there, is there much energy in an elephant? Um, I think it said there was enough to power um, a, a Dyson... I think Dyson Ball, I think was they said. The Dyson Ball. <laughs> Dyson for, Ball. The Dyson Ball for seven and a half minutes, <laughs> I think they said. Wow. But, um, I could know, keep so one it, in my backyard. It needs to be used sparingly. Yeah, you don't want to buy one every time you hoover. <laughs> that would be impractical. Yeah, oh, I was going to hoover, but the dead ele- elephant hasn't turned up. Famously, you could go to Harrods and order one, couldn't you? <laughs> They've got they've got a bit stricter about these animal controls now, though. What, well, you can buy an elephant in the seventies. That was one of the kind of you know, like John Lewis, never knowingly undersold. Mm. That was one of the things that. Well, my parents told me this. I don't know if it's true. That um, Harrods, you could say if you wanted an elephant, you could get one from Harrods. Mm. Mm. Alive, yeah, a live elephant. If you needed okay. to Hoover. But then, as I say, they're much stricter now, possibly about mm. bringing it into the country. You could I say, could, well, could you have it, could you kill it for me? I'm I'm <laughs> using it for fuel. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, could you put it into petrol cans? No, I thought... And coincidentally, um, I read an interview with uh, Susan Boyle this week and um, through a medium. (laughs) And uh, she said that at her funeral, the tune she'd like to be played was uh, Nelly the Elephant. That's a strange choice. Yeah, as in Nelly the Elephant packed the trunks and said goodbye. Mm, I'm familiar with the the Mm. work. I was just helping you out. (laughs) Yeah, so it got me thinking, well, you know, what would I like? What would you like? Best we have this conversation now. I know it's a bit bleak. I think we should all agree that we go for... Oh! <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't want that. The thing is, what's great about that tune is I wouldn't have it at my funeral because it's too depressing. It's too depressing. It would actually drag the mood down at a funeral. That's how bad it is. Because there are some, when you hear that, you think of so many people who'd benefit from a funeral. So, well, exactly. Yeah, I, no, I, I've always fancied um, the theme tune from Bonanza. Oh, you know, that's a ding, good ding, one. Ding, 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 ding. Um, Malcolm Hardy, the famous um, comedian, yeah. when he uh, when his coffin left the church, they played "Return to Sender." That is good. That is. Fabulous. I like that. I'd like that Verve song. The drugs don't work because <laughs> they wouldn't have by that point. No, probably that would have been. Yeah. I do want people to cry though. I'm just flagging this up. You know, people say, "Oh, I want that's life and it to be uplifting." I don't want that. Yeah, no, I want everyone I to be really upset and sad. And mm. I want to. I want a montage of my life with airbrush photos of me, possibly doing some charity work, holding children and things. Yeah, so I you know. agree. When yeah, people don't say "Don't wear blank, black," we want it to be a celebration. No, don't. No, no don't celebrate. At oh, my did, did you say "Don't wear blank"? <laughs> <laughs> See, he's forever on your mind, that man, isn't he? I know who I want to cater my funeral. Well, he'll be there. I don't know. I don't know that. You'll uh, outlive you'll Blanc. Out- no, I don't think you'll outlive Blanc. I don't know. throat is nasty. No one's going to outlive Blanc. No, I think I think Blanc has uh, already got one foot in the souffle. 
Co- cockroaches and blanc, that's what they say. <laughs> One foot in the gravy. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that live all of us. Cockroaches and blanc. Oh, yeah. Oh, I never heard that one before. But, uh, <laughs> is that something that he serves at one of his restaurants? <laughs> oh, Raymond. So yeah, uh, I, I, uh, I I sort of respected um, Susan Boyle for that though. Thinking about her own death. No, the, the fact that she's sort of light-hearted about it. Because mm. I sort of imagine that she's someone apart from that wiggle that she does. <laughs> is, I don't imagine she's a big laugh, but maybe I've been wrong about her. Mm. I, yeah, but that wiggle doesn't illustrate to me that she's got a good sense of humour. Just illustrates she's slightly <laughs> mentally unwell. Well, I would. I yeah. That's true. I mean, I think I would be good if she had psych. The thing from Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> she played she, at the. She did also say she wanted the whole of the dance troupe diversity nailed in the coffin with her. Yeah. So that's nailed in so. the coffin. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's that's over the top, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know why they couldn't just nestle around her. Yeah. They could lie amongst her. Yeah. Have you chosen a song, Gareth? Oh, I haven't thought of a song for my funeral. No, you haven't thought of one. Well, perhaps we can think of one. I think there's, there's only one, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of the people's names coming up in the credits with this. No, but you get then the, the the vicar can say, "No, we will bury him only once." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gareth Ruchard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fabulous, a low, a low themed. So it's a slightly <laughs> ironic title for a uh, for a funeral. A low, a low. Oh well. So um, now, what was your? Fa- I love a fashion point. That's the, I don't know many people oh, are into fashion. fashion. Emily's just about my only contact with the fashion world. I, well, there was a story this week, and they, they did a survey talking about um, the top ten fashions that men hate. So on this list. You know, because sometimes with guys, it's like they. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the things first. Then you can make your mind up. Mm. On the list was Uggs, leggings, and oversized sunglasses. Are three things for you to get your head round. Right. Um, Surely, what, oversized sunglasses are something to get around <laughs> your head. Well, exactly. But I was interested. What fashion items do you guys hate? Because you know, it's that thing with men that. I think sometimes when you go too fashiony, men don't understand it. They essentially like you to show off your assets. If you're wearing a top, they go, why are you wearing... What? Well, they do. They're like, why are you wearing that scarf? And it's like, I can't see your la-las, basically, is what that means. Oh. It's true, though. Why aren't you wearing a mini skirt? Do, we, do men actually say that to mm, you? Yeah. Why aren't you wearing a mini skirt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that, that's people who I've want never, their women bespoke. I've never been that assertive. <laughs> no. No, well, I, I, I just think that's, I think so that's what too clothes, forward. what clothes don't you guys Well, like? the ones you've listed are ones I'm particularly partial to. Oh, I think, really, Frank? I think an og boot and a bare leg is a fabulous combo. Oh. oh, I think that's a real great combo. Do you? What was the other ones? Uh, leggings. I love leggings. Do fabulous. you? Not floral. But um, but yeah, I like leggings. I'll My- tell you what I don't like with leggings. I don't like jeggings. Oh, I like that you know the difference. Yeah, which are like, they're supposed to be like denim leg or denim effect leggings, are they? No. What are, they- what are jeggings? Well, jeggings... Oh, see, what's happened is you've used, you've cleverly uh, used a, a piece of... Uh, a piece of uh, the, the no, inside I'll... world and you don't know what it's about. No, I'll, I might let you have that. Go on, I might let you have that. <laughs> Half not, a point. What, well, they're not really... You're talking about tight denim. That's different. That's not That's not the same as jeggings, what really. jeggings, You've made a complete fool. <laughs> Why try and dress it up in any other way? <laughs> what are jeggings? They're just those things. They're more like... They're like half tight, half legging. 
Right. What are the ones that have a bit that comes underneath the foot that hold them down? I like that. Well, a jegging can have that sometimes. Have That's that a, well. yeah. What I particularly don't like is a patterned tight. Don't you? Oh, I hate those. Oh, I understand. I really, I mean, I remember them the first time around and they're coming back now. They look like the legs have been wallpapered. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't like those? No, they're like, like it's like the, like a funeral parlour wallpapered leg. And it, it, it seems to take all the, all the beauty out of, out of the female leg. And you, uh, most men don't like gladiator sandals either. Oh, I'm happy with those. Yeah, I like oh, are you? Fine, yeah. Oh, God. I'll tell you what I particularly don't like. Oh. And that is a, uh, a four-breast bra. Oh yes, Frank's not a big fan. In fact, yeah, we've we've spotted some. Yes. We do go spotting. We go. Are you familiar what with this? No, a four-breast bra is when a woman has ample breasts, mm. Mm. but she wears a bra that isn't quite big enough. So right. you get like it looks like a double-decker breast okay. on each side. So there's there's yeah. like the overfill, and then there's a bra underneath. The two-tiered effect. Yeah, and yeah. You do, I I don't like that at all. It, but that's not you know that's not fashion. That's just slovenly, really. <laughs> yeah, I think it's women who just can't admit that they've got big breasts. And I think, you know, that you need to Nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be afeared of. No, indeed. And I also, there was something that I used to dislike, Mm. and I've had a complete change of heart on it, and that's the pop sock. Oh, really? There was a time when I thought the pop sock was, and I'm talking about the the height, not not the short one that one might put on for trying on shoes. You're talking about knee length. I'm talking about knee length. And I used to think, oh, no, the, the, the least sexy thing you can ever have is a pop sock. And then... I think it's be- when I moved to London, and you see lots of um, Oriental women, and they they upfront the pop sock. Oh yeah, you know well mean? it's very fashionable now with a high heel. Yeah, I and now I've grown to really like them. Mm. So if there's things that you don't like in women's fashion, you people who are listening, don't give up because it's it's amazing how that can change. Mm. Um, what else? Oh, I was go. I wanted to raise something. Now, okay. you- <laughs> let's get let's just get the webcam up. <laughs> <laughs> did anyone hear this week that um, or last week I think it was that uh, they were making a film? Um, uh, it was an adaptation of The Hobbit. Oh, oh yeah, I'm it's, quite, an M- it's an MGM thing. Quite excited yeah. about that. No, no, don't be because it's all gone wrong. The directors walked out. It's all in disarray. Oh no, what's his name? Who did um, Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah. Um, can't but this isn't film name. 2010, so that's not why I'm raising it. Oh. What I'm here to talk about... Pam's Labyrinth. Pam? <laughs> <laughs> Friend of Raymond Blanc. I think I remember Pam's Labyrinth. <laughs> Birmingham, <laughs> late 70s. So anyway, there's a strong chance the film... They might not make the film. Hmm. Now, I actually wasn't that unhappy to hear this, because I have to say, I, I loathe fantasy. I absolutely detest it. I can't bear it. Anything like that. Oh, sort of creatures and elves and things. Hmm. And... What about orcs? Oh, don't get me started on orcs. Okay. I can't bear them. And so I actually realised this at quite a young age because my mum bought me a copy of The Hobbit and I opened the book and I started reading it and the first line was, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. And I literally just slammed the book shut and I thought there's nothing would induce me to read on (laughs) from that sentence. Why would I read on? I'm I'm surprised that you were shocked. <laughs> that was one of the details of the story of a book called The Hobby. I suppose you could have thought he, he was he would be above the ground. Be a bit more experimental. Why am I going to read about some awful creature living in a hole? I know what you mean. I mean, I, I'm I'm a page sixty nine man myself. Uh, so I think I mentioned uh, on the show. What's that, that again? If I'm going to buy a, a a novel or any book, really, I read page sixty nine. Mm. And if I like All that, right. I buy the book. And if I don't, I don't. Oh, does it work? 
Uh, it does generally. Uh, the, the theory is that by then the, the author is in full flow, so, you know, whereas at the beginning. But I'm in an opening sentence. I, um, I tell you, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't like what I would call wet novels. And they're what often, do you mean? They're often... Yeah, when a, you drop it in the bath and it gets all, you know, it yeah. sort of all swells up. I, um, I don't like that sort of middle-classness about some novel. If a sentence has got a woman's name in the first... You don't like yeah, it? Yeah, I'm not keen about that. Or if, or if the action is initially set at a kitchen table. Oh, you do, I know. You don't like that. See, I quite like that. I think, oh, no. we'll get nice relationships and things. Love no, it. No, I, I hate all that. If you can imagine that the first sentence might be, <laughs> Linda gazed into the mirror searching for grey hairs. <laughs> I'm out of there. Yeah, I don't want that book. I don't want to know anything I'm, about no. that book. I'm in I, like Flynn. And I, I dismiss the author. Or... <laughs> The children were staying in Winchester with my mother. Oh. No, thank <laughs> you. Not, not for me. I want something that's a bit gritty. What about, I know what put me off. I was christened Amanda Louise Holden. I wouldn't read any <laughs> further than that, would you? Not unless it was about someone who changed their name. <laughs> because a they so hated Amanda Holden. <laughs> I think if a book started, it was the sort of thing where you really had to be there. That would be a bad start to a book. Mm. <laughs> Frank Skinner on Absolute Radio. Absolute Radio.